But good morning, Fellowship Fayetteville. As we're coming in from the lobby, let's walk in. Let's stand together. Let's worship. We're going to ask God to tune our hearts to Him, to His vision this morning. So together as a church, let's sing praises to the King. Sing, come thou found. Come thou found every blessing to my heart to sing thy praise. Streams of Call for songs of loudest prayer. Teach me some loudest song. Sung by flaming tongues of love. Praise the mountain. Fix the morning. Mount of life. Teeming love. Fellowship Fayetteville. My name is Allie, and I have the privilege of being a part of our family ministry team. Y'all want to stand over here? Hey, I love to see God at work in our city and in all of Northwest Arkansas. And one way that we get to see that evidence is through our families. And this morning, we have a couple of families up here who have made the decision to dedicate their children. So earlier this fall, or I guess the end of the summer, um, they gathered with their family and their community, and they made a commitment to raise their kids to know Jesus, to love Jesus, and to be surrounded by a body of believers. So I just want to take a minute and introduce both of our families to you. So we have Oliver Vale Evans and his parents, Emmy and Jacob. And then we have Ryan and Megan Bax with Rowan Lorene. Say hey, Hi. Their family and their community have already made the decision and dedicated that they are gonna walk alongside of them in this journey, but as a body of believers and Jesus followers, we ask that you too partner with them in prayer. So if y'all will pray with me. Dear Jesus, um, you are a good God, and Lord, the evidence of your goodness and your faithfulness is so apparent when we look at families like this. Lord, I pray that your presence is felt with the parents as they raise their children. 
God, I pray for peace and patience in the hard moments. Lord, I pray for protection and blessing in their marriages. God, I pray for these kids, um, Lord, that you will just grow them to do amazing things for your glory. We pray that they will know you, that they will love you, and they will love your people. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Bye-bye. I love that. Um, cool fact, uh, I was actually dedicated to this church when I was that age, and my parents always tell a story that I was like running around the stairs, and I was crazy. And so uh, what I realized from a young age is that it takes a village to raise a child. And as a church, we get to come alongside these new families and help them. And so those are some of my best friends. So that was, that was pretty special for me to get to see. Well, good morning. My name is David uh, Matthews. I'm on staff here. And just a little bit, I'll get into more detail about what my job um, actually is here at the church. If you're new with us or you're just in town for the weekend, uh, welcome. If you're, maybe you're in town for the LPGA event or for, the, for BITE. I just want to say welcome. So glad, that you, so glad that you're here. You caught us right in the middle of our study over the book of Philippians, and today we're kicking off chapter two. And so we're so glad you're here. We would love to meet you. We would love to introduce ourselves. And so the easiest way to do that is when you leave here today, keep walking straight. You'll see a community booth. Stop by and come say hi, introduce yourself, and we would love to get to know you um, and get you connected here at our church. A couple of things going on we want to let you know, uh, we want to keep out in front of you. The first one is Discover Discipleship. Uh, my freshman year of college, right over here at the U of A, the night before my, my classes, I was sitting there in my dorm room looking at, at the classes that I was enrolled in, and I realized something. I have no idea where these classes are. How do I get to them? Well, I had a guy by the name of Andrew Newell all of a sudden reach out to me that same day and say, hey, Tomorrow, I'd love to walk with you to classes and help you see where each one of your classes are. That, that principle of being just a little bit ahead of somebody and then helping them figure out something is the idea of discipleship. If you've ever had the question, how do I disciple somebody? Or what even is discipleship? I know that we're called to do it as followers of Jesus, but what is it? We wanna help you answer that question with this class. And so I would encourage you to sign up and that'll be on Sunday mornings at 1045 in our classroom uh, right over here. And so please sign up for that. We'd love to come alongside you and help you grow in that. The other one is next week, October 8th, in the FSM room, our global interest lunch is gonna happen. And we want to feed you, okay? But we, we need to know if you're coming. So here's what I want you to do. Take your phone out. You can go ahead and do it right now. Take your phone out. My wife did this last night. It took her literally 15 seconds. And I'm going to give you 15 seconds if you'd like to register, if you'd like to scan this QR code and sign up. So it's going to be quiet in here for 15 seconds for those of you who are signing this, and then we will re, uh, come back to it. So fill this out real quick if you want to come to this next week. Some of you are like, that's the longest 15 seconds of all time. Silence can be uncomfortable. I know that. Uh, well, we hope to see you next week in there for that. And lastly, uh, my name, like I said, is David Matthews, and I'm on the community team. Uh, this is Anne Defani, and we both serve in the same role on our community team. And our role is to help young adults get connected in our church. And let, let, let me real quick just give you our, our passion behind what we do. We would love to see people who maybe are new here and are disconnected, or maybe you just graduated, you're still in the area, we wanna help you discover the gifts that you uniquely have and then how you can use those to serve others. In our passage today, in Philippians chapter two, it says, not looking to your own interest, but looking to the interest of others. Have this mindset among yourselves. And so our vision for the young adult ministry here is to help you realize what are my spiritual gifts? How can I use them and how can I edify and grow and use those in our church to serve others? And here's what I have found, that if you're coming to the church with, with, with the mindset of what do you have for me, you're probably gonna be pretty upset by some of the things. But if you come and you bring the mindset of what can I bring to the church? What can I bring to the ministry? What can I bring? Then you will find community alongside of that and you will grow yourself. And so we wanna come alongside you and help you think of creative ways that you can use the gifts that you have to serve others 
in our church. Sound good? And so today, at the end of this service, if you're a young adult in here, me and Ann will be back in the community booth, and we would love to meet you. We would love to say hi. I'm going to have my phone out with my calendar app open, and we'll find time to get together. We'll sit down face-to-face and discover what this could look like for you. One of the things that we've been doing in here each week is a confession and an assurance of pardon. And I love that we do this. That very first song that we sang is one of my favorite songs because it feels so close to my story. It says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. I'm prone to leave the God that I love. And so this morning, we're gonna take a moment and just confess together that that, that is actually true for every single one of us in here. How quickly we look outside of God to fulfill a desire that only he can satisfy. And so this morning, let's do this together. Let's read it. Heavenly Father, have mercy on us. We have not loved you. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We have not obeyed you as we should. Lord, forgive us our sin. We are in need of a savior. And before we read our assurance this morning, I want to remind us of this from Psalm 103. It says, praise the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy and who satisfies, hear this, your desires with good things so that your, your youth is renewed like the eagles. And so would you stand with me? In church, together we declare this. Church, believe the good news. We look to Jesus. Let's say it. Jesus died for us. Jesus rose for us. Jesus intercedes for us. In him, We are a new creation. In him, we have forgiveness of sin. In him, we have a savior. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen.
Jesus Christ. I stand in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's remain standing for a reading of God's word. In the book of Philippians, therefore, if you have any encouragement for being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. My name is Mickey, and I'm one of your staff here at Fellowship Bible Church, and uh, I was here when David Matthews was dedicated a long time ago up in Rogers, and yes, he did run all over the place. I remember when his brother Daniel was born, I asked his mother, I said, hey, my middle name is Daniel. Why are you naming him Daniel? She said, because he's coming into the lion's den. Let me ask you a question this morning as we've read our passage. Are you a humble person? Would the people who know you best describe you as humble? It's something to ponder, especially as this morning we prepare our hearts for communion. And I would remind you that when communion is passed later on, that it is double cupped. Some of our leaders told me last week as they prepare communion, they get the cups back and there's still bread in the bottom. People don't know that there are two cups. And so just a little instruction there for you. But humility, communion reminds us of how we should be humble before God in light of what he's done for us. Humility is elusive. Warren Wiersbe said this about humility. Humility is that grace that when you know you have it, you've lost it. It's indeed elusive. If you say I'm humble, you're not anymore. Because that's a prideful statement. Today we talk about humility within the context of unity in the body of Christ. God's desire that in our relationship with one another, we would be humble, that we would pursue the mind and the humility of Christ. As we heard, as Ryan read our passage. So let's pray for wisdom and discernment. As we study this today, oh, God. We do pray that you would give us wisdom. And discernment. Oh, Lord, give us a self-awareness. And as your Holy Spirit walks these aisles this morning, 
As we study your word, Lord, help us to see that you are the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through you. And so let us have the mind of Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. For far too many people, the church of Jesus Christ is treated just like another organization. It's a place where you can come and make business contacts or or gossip with good, like-minded Christians or wield a certain amount of power. But that's not God's intention for the church. While all that happens, the world looks on and laughs. Satan looks on and laughs. Because we undermine our credibility in the very essence of our message. People have arrogantly damaged the reputation of the church through immoral acts. When I was a kid, I worked on a farm during the summers. And um, by the time I was in high school, I, w- I wanted to do anything but drive a tractor. Just let me do anything but drive a tractor. Find something else to do. And so I went to work for a fertilizer company and, and I hopped wings for uh, crop dusters. We would drive an auger truck out to the airstrips on the farm fields and then we would put the chemicals in and they would either uh, blow us off the wing or we'd jump off the wing and it depended on how much of a hurry they were in. But on the days it would rain, we were stuck in a little 15 by 15 office waiting for the rain to stop. It was just boring and my boss was a pretty carnal guy. But I got a burden for his soul. I didn't know a lot about the Bible, but I knew he needed Jesus. And so I began to try to feebly witness to him. And every time I tried to witness to him, he would start listing for me people, leaders in the churches that he knew of. And he would list for me their immoral acts. Teachers, deacons even pastors. And he would look at me and point his finger in my face and say, I am just as good as they are. The credibility of the church had been undermined in his eyes. Churches split over the silliest of things. Some of you have probably been a part of a church split at some time in your history or been closely related to it, and you know how ridiculous it can be. One church in Dallas went through a split. They even went to court. And the wise judge kicked it out and said, go settle your own dispute. So they wound up splitting and, and, and the newspaper got involved and started tracking down the source of where the split began. And you know what the source of it was? At a church social, a child got more ham than one of the church leaders. Honest to goodness, that's where it all started. The world looks on and laughs. Satan looks on and laughs because our message has been undermined. Young people begin to deconstruct their faith because they look at the hypocrisy of the generations before them. Ann Ortland, in her book, Up With Worship, described it this way. She said, when I was little, we used to play church. You ever play church? We'd get the chairs into rows, fight over who'd be the preacher, vigorously lead the hymn singing, and generally have a great carnal time. The aggressive kids naturally wanted to be up front, directing or preaching. The quieter ones were content to sit and be entertained by the upfronters. Occasionally, we'd get memorized by a true sensationalistic crowd swear like the girls who said, boo, I'm the Holy Ghost. But in general, if the upfronters were pretty good, they could hold their audience for quite a while. If they weren't so good, eventually the kids would drift off to play something else like jump rope or jacks. Now that generation has grown up, but most of them haven't changed too much. Every Sunday, they still play church. They line up in rows for the entertainment. If it's pretty good, 
their church may grow. If it's not too hot, eventually they'll drift off to play something else. As the Lord's church, we must follow the example of Jesus Christ in everything that we do, or at least seek to follow him with all of our hearts. We disregard him to our own peril. And so Philippians chapter 2, we find verses that give us guidance. It begins with the word, therefore. So it's important we go back and remember the context of what has just been said in chapter 1. But before we do, let's put ourselves in the sandals of the original hearers of the letter. Think about the people we find from the book of Acts who may have been here there listening to that letter when it was originally read. How about Lydia, the seller of purple cloth from a place called Theatira in Turkey? She met Paul down by the river near Philippi. Some of you went there this summer. And she followed the Lord. What about the slave girl who followed Paul around and got on his nerves to the point that he, he delivered her from the demon? She may have been there listening. And what about the Philippian jailer and his whole household? He listened to Paul and Silas sing those hymns all night long. And, and then, the, then the earthquake came. And he thought that everything was lost. But Paul and Silas said, hey, we're still here. We're not going anywhere. And he went to them after hearing those hymns, after seeing their integrity, after being moved by the Holy Spirit, he went to them and said, what must I do to be saved? What do I have to do so that I might have what you have? And I just picture in my mind those people sitting there listening to that letter being read and sadly knowing that Paul was in chains in a Roman prison. So back to the therefore. All of what we're going to study today falls under the context of Paul's previous thought. One of the main things he said is for me to live is Christ and to die is gain from verse 21 of chapter 1. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For Paul, everything was about Christ. Christ, 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 Christ. That was his message. And the next thing he said was, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, how were we to do that? Well, the first thing he says, which he touches on in chapter two, is preserve unity. Live in a spirit of unity by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, apparently, there were issues of rivalry and selfish ambition in the Philippian church. And Paul knew that they had to stop that if they were going to make a difference in the lives of others in Philippi. The next thing that they were to do was to spread the gospel message, the faith of the gospel. Tell your story. Share your faith. Strive with one another for the faith of the gospel, not against one another or against anybody else. Paul's message is very clear. If we do preserve unity and if we are spreading the gospel, Satan doesn't like it and we will experience persecution. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when it will come. And so Paul says, live in confidence, not fear. Live in confidence, not fear. Remember what Jesus said? He said, when you're persecuted, it won't be you who's speaking. Don't worry about it. It won't be you who's speaking, but the Holy Spirit will be speaking through you. And that word fear that he uses in this, this place is, is not used anywhere else in the New Testament, but it is used in the classical Greek, and it's used to describe a horse who is, is startled easily by the slightest sound or the slightest movement, and that horse is just nervous all the time. Paul says, don't live like that. Live in confidence. Trust God. Entrust your life and your well-being to the hands of God. So Philippians 2, verse 1, he says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete. Interesting. 
Here he is in chains in a Roman prison. In this little letter to the church at Philippi, he mentions joy or a variation of it 15 times. 15 times in this little letter. Then make my joy complete. How? By being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of mind or purpose. He said, have the same mind. Have the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Unity. He's begging them to pursue unity. He uses the word if four times. But in the Greek, this word if is a word of certainty. And so you could replace those ifs with the word since. I'll pick on the college students in the room this morning. Your parents may have said to you, If I have loved you, if I have fed you, if I have sacrificed for you, then make my joy complete by acting right while you're in college. But what they really meant, what they really meant was, since I have loved you, since I have fed you, since I have cared for you, then make my joy complete. They're not saying if, they're saying since, because it's a certainty. And that's what Paul is saying here. Unity in the church was essential to advancing the gospel message of faith in Christ. And I've seen this demonstrated over and over and over again through the years with our elders. You know, our elder team, we don't have unanimous decisions. There's never a 5-4 vote with them. It's consensus. It's either all of us or none of us. We work until we come to consensus. It's all of us agree to move forward on an issue or we don't move forward. You know how hard that is? That's hard. But during COVID, during COVID, our world was divided. Yes? In every way you can possibly imagine. And that spilled over into the church. It spilled over into our church. There were people at all extremes. Trust me, I heard from most of them. But with our elders, we met for two years straight. Without taking a break at any time. And never once. Not once were we not able to come to consensus on the decisions we were making. As a matter of fact, they were able, when everyone else was divided, they were able to come to consensus quickly and easily. They were of one mind. And you know why? Is they sought the Holy Spirit's guidance. They went to God about man before they went to man about God. They went to God about the decisions that we should make. It was incredible to me. There were never strife or disagreements among our elders. They were one. During the most difficult days and during the time when we made the most difficult decisions in the history of our church. Unity has always been evident in our elders. And I thank God for that. When I first came here, uh, back in the late 80s, uh, things were different. We didn't have a church building back then. We met in a junior high school, and, and one, of, one of our leaders had a Christmas party at his house, and he invited a group of the senior, the, the senior citizens that night to the Christmas party. And that group of seniors cornered me in one corner of the room. Gary, if I mention that, and by the way, it's Gary Harold's birthday. Happy birthday to you. Gary Harrell, yeah, yeah, 80 what, I don't know, no, he's not, he's but they cornered me in one part of the room, and they had a discussion with me on matters of preference, a lot of unity within the church is destroyed, not over doctrinal issues, not over really, really important issues, but over matters of preference, and they didn't like some of the things that I was bringing into the church. They didn't like that I was shifting around the order and and you didn't know exactly what was coming next. They didn't like some of the more progressive songs and and stuff like that that I was bringing. Can you imagine, David, they described me as progressive? 
Our staff would really laugh about that right now, that there was a time when I was called progressive. They didn't like some of that stuff. They didn't like the newer songs that I was bringing in and some of the readings and some of the, the drama sketches and things like that that we were doing. And one fellow, his wife had been a church organist, Stenberg. His wife had been a church organist, and he wanted to know in this new building, this facility that we were building there on Pleasant Grove Road, were we going to have an organ? And I said, no, we're not going to have an organ. And I thought his head was going to explode. But then I asked him a question. I asked, are you willing to give up some of what you enjoy to reach a younger generation or people who have a different preference from yours. And to their credit, they all said yes. They were willing to do that. You see, but when we get hung up on matters of preference in the church, unity can be destroyed. We can get lost in the mayhem of it. And we lose sight of the great commission and the great commandment that we are to love God, love others, and we're to make disciples. But that was a Merry Christmas for me, I'm here to tell you. Verse 3, he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility. Let's not forget that all of this is in the context of, the, of promoting unity in the church. And humility is the linchpin of unity. Remember that humility is the linchpin of unity. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. I encourage you to go back and look carefully at the words used in verses three and four. Let's look at a few of them just now. Self, selfish ambition. Is your life marked by self, uh, selfish ambition? Have you become the center of your universe? Are you totally focused on your own success rather than the success of others? What about vain conceit? Do you often find yourself looking down your nose at others, considering their opinion less than your own? What about humility? It isn't low self-regard, but a forgetting of self to the benefit of others. Someone has said that humility is confidence properly placed. Confidence properly placed. I love what Thomas Akempis said in The Imitation of Christ about humility and its relationship to contrition. He said this, it's on the screen there. Of what use is it to discourse learnedly on the Trinity if you lack humility and therefore displease the Trinity? He said, I would far rather feel contrition than to be able to define it. A lot of preachers of the word of God need to memorize that quote. Then he says, value others above yourselves. Well, this really makes a difference in our relationships with other people, especially in the marriage relationship. When, when the husband is totally focused on the needs and interests of the wife, and the wife is totally focused on the needs and the interests of the husband, arguments go away. Arguments go away. And the only reason we argue is, is because of pride. But when you're totally focused on the needs of your partner, that takes care of everything. Now, you may never be able to decide where you're going to go eat, or you may be, not be able to decide what movie you want to watch, but that's okay. You can handle that. To be totally focused on the needs of your partner is one way to avoid those arguments. It's because you're valuing someone more than yourself. Paul's calling on the Philippians to be selfless. Verse five, he says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. What a concept. What a concept, huh? To have the same mind as Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to describe it. Who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Very important statement there for those religions who refuse to recognize Jesus as God being in the very nature, 
God is very tough for them to explain away. Because Jesus is God. It affirms that he was equal with God, but did not abuse that privilege by holding on to or or grasping equality with God. In Christ, we see the very nature of the humility of God. Jesus voluntarily laid aside the independent use exercise of his divine attributes, but he never ceased to be God. He willingly gave up his divine rights and privileges of deity for a time for us. And yet there was never a time when he was not fully God and fully man. I challenge you to find a place in the Gospels where Jesus ever used his divine attributes for his own advantage. It's not there. The only time he used his divine attributes was to serve other people. Then he says, rather, he made himself nothing. What is nothing? Nothing. Nothing is just a big zero with the rim knocked off. Nothing is just nothing. He made himself nothing. Kenosis, he emptied himself is the Greek word, giving up the rights and privileges of deity and stepping away from his pre-incarnate glory. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. God became one of us. It's incomprehensible. It's more than we can fathom. Jesus had never been human before. He had never felt pain, hunger, or thirst. But now he would willingly submit to the will of the Father and the guidance of the Holy Spirit to navigate this world as a human being. It's incredible, isn't it? He was God. And yet he became one of us. The king became a pauper. The old song says, he who knows no time and space, who holds eternity, took the time to give his life and live again for me. Verse eight, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient unto death, even death on a cross. No one humbled Jesus, not the Romans, not the Jews, not Pilate, not Herod. He humbled himself. No one took his life from him. In John 10, verse 18, he said, no one takes my life from me. I give it freely. That's what he did for us. Christ is our example, and so we should seek to be like him. We should seek the mind of Jesus. What are some practical ways we can do this? Now, this is not exhaustive, but it's just a few things for us to think about. Number one, speak less and listen more. You know what? That's at the top of my goals every year. I never seem to quite get there. Speak less, listen more. Two ears, one mouth. Be more interested in the lives of others than our own. Listen to other stories rather than always feeling like you've got to tell your own. Be more interested in them than you are yourself. If they're practicing the same discipline, you may find yourselves just standing looking at one another. That's okay. That's okay. You know you're on the right track. Both of you are. Be generous in expressing gratitude. You can learn a lot about a person by observing how they treat people who can't do anything for them. I often watch how someone treats a waiter or a waitress. Do they say please and thank you? Next one. Be willing to admit when we are wrong and readily forgive others when they are wrong. Own it. Set things right. Keep short accounts. Be willing to say, I was wrong. Don't just run the other way when you see them coming after you know. Just go up to them and say, I was wrong. Try it. Say it. I was wrong. Okay. Took some of you a minute to get there. Let's try it again. I was wrong. 
Good. See, you can do it. And there's, there's a healing that comes over you when you get to the place when you're willing to just say, even with tears, I was wrong. I was wrong. You know, I wish that something that I could have heard from my father, just to be honest, I never heard him say that. I was wrong. Especially with your kids. When you're wrong, own it. Say, I was wrong. I'm sorry. And forgive just as easily. And then consider others more important than ourselves and serve other people gladly. It shouldn't be so hard because they usually are more important than we are if we're in the right mind. And this next phrase in verse 9, it always makes me emotional. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. You know, Jesus never received the praise he deserved here on earth. The closest he came was during the triumphal entry. But it says, therefore... Because he is who he is, God exalted him to the highest place. That word is only used one time in the New Testament, and it's right here to describe Jesus. He gave him that ultimate exaltation because he demonstrated the, the, the humility of God and fulfilled his mission. And he gave him a name that is above every name. There is no name above the name of Jesus. No name should be more exalted and revered. And we should not use it flippantly and we should not use it as slang. The world does. We don't. We shouldn't. We should never use the word Jesus as slang. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. No one is exempt, he's saying. No one is exempt. If this is true, if this is true, what would the wise person do? If there will come a day when every knee will bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, no one's excluded, then what would the wise person do? Wouldn't we live every day, every moment of our lives in light of that moment? Wouldn't we? Yes, no. Yeah, that there will come a day when every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We should live every day in light of that moment. But what if it isn't true? Blaise Pascal in the 17th century, a mathematician and Christian answered that question better than I ever could in Pascal's wager. Look at it. It said, either God exists or he does not, and you must bet one way or another. If God exists, you could gain or lose infinite happiness. If God does not exist, then you could lose, at most, finite pleasure. If you win, you win everything. If you lose, you lose nothing. Do not hesitate then. Gamble on his existence. Don't hesitate. Don't put it off. Every knee will bow and every tongue acknowledge or confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That word Kyrios is the Greek equivalent of Yahweh. Exodus 3, Moses said, when they asked me who sent me, who shall I tell them? And he said, I am Yahweh. And Yahweh simply means this. I always was, I am, and I always will be. I am everything you will ever need. Jesus Christ is Lord. He's the ultimate example for those who place their faith in Christ. And we should do everything in our power to follow him. Because humility is the final achievement. In 1715, King Louis XIV of France died after a reign of 82 years. He called himself the Great. And he was the monarch who made the famous statement, 
I am the state. His court was the most magnificent in all of Europe. And his funeral was equally spectacular. His coffin lay in state. His golden coffin lay in state. And instructions were given that the cathedral should be dimly lit with a solitary candle lit above his coffin to dramatize his greatness. At the funeral, all those who gathered there waited in hushed silence. And then Bishop Massillon got up to speak. Slowly reaching down, he snuffed out the candle and said, only God is great. Only God is great. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Indeed, humility will be the final achievement. Just bow for a moment and prepare your heart's communion, would you? As the ushers begin to distribute communion, would you stand with us and let's respond in worship and you can hold on to the communion until we take it in a minute. How great the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain could not climb. In desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night then through the darkness your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul the work is finished the end is written jesus christ my
the promise your buried body began to breathe out of the silence the roaring lion declared the grave has no claim then came the morning that sealed the promise your buried body began to breathe out of the silence the roaring lion declared the grave has no claim on me Jesus love is a
should never take for granted the privilege of observing communion of remembering the Lord's body and his blood shed for us so this is his body broken for you take and eat and remember This is his blood shed for you. Take, drink, remember. Church, as we take communion, let's remember also his amazing grace through song. Let's sing this together. Amazing grace, how sweet. Prayer room is available through the doors on your right if you would like to pray with someone this morning. Church, have a great week of worship. We'll see you next week.